We're going to look at the book of Ruth this morning, and, and we're going to continue our study. In, in, uh, we just called it uh, a question of the heart. But this morning, last week we talked about protocol and about how we're required to do certain things as we go into the presence of God. We're required to, to confess our sin. I mean, that's, that's just, we, we have to take a bath, basically. And so we looked at Ruth, and we looked at what she did. And she, she took a bath, and she anointed herself with perfume and with oil. And, and we talked about how that's a, just a picture of the Holy Spirit filling us. And then she, she put on new clothes. She took off her, her, uh, her widow's garments, and she put on new clothes. And we talked about how that's praise. And folks, we've praised this morning. And because we have praised, we've entered into a, a different level. We've, we're at a different place than, than maybe we've been. And we talked about how she got dressed and how she went to the threshing floor and how she waited. And sometimes we have to wait on God. We have to be still. That's what, that's what the psalmist says, be still and know. God doesn't act on our timetable. Amen? How many of you realize that? But God always acts on time. There's a difference. And so Ruth goes and she waits and she, in a sense, she, she hides in the shadows till Boaz goes and he's finished threshing for the day. He's worked all day. He's worked in the field and he's come to the threshing floor and he's winnowed for, for several hours. He's eaten. He's had something to drink. He's laid down. He's done like most men. He's gone to sleep. And when he goes to sleep, Ruth's instructions were to go and uncover his feet and lay down at his feet. And when we left last week, when we finished last week, Boaz had awakened. His feet were cold. And he was startled out of his sleep. And he realized there was a woman lying at his feet. And so he, he looks at her and he says, what do you, Who are you? And she answers, she said, I'm Ruth, your servant. Sometimes God will ask us that, who are you? When he asks us that, folks, it's not about what we've done, where we've been, it's who we are. God, it's me. I don't have anything to offer. I'm just here to light your feet. And then Ruth makes the request. Put your robe, put the edge of your robe, the hem of your garment, your wing in a sense, over me. In other words, marry me. And we left it there. That, that's our responsibility. Our responsibility is, to, to, clean, is, to, is to, to confess our sin, get ourselves cleaned up, pursue God, go into His presence, get at His feet, and be quiet. And when He asks us, who are you? What do you want? Then we speak. We left, we left that place last week. That, that's, that's our responsibility. But today, folks, I want to paint a picture of what God does. Okay? This is good. Okay? I may get a little happy. For those of you who don't know what that means, I don't either. Okay? I may just do unusual things sometimes. But, but in our day, most people, when you begin to share things with them that requires a commitment, they want to know something. What's in it for me? I'm that way, aren't you? I want to know. If you're going to require me to do something, I want to know what I'm going to get back. 
And most people are that way. What am I going to get out of this? The reason we're that way is, is because we're selfish. Let's just be honest. We're selfish. We come into this world selfish. We don't have to learn to be selfish. If you don't think that's true, go down a few doors to our children's area and just observe quietly. Don't say anything. And you'll see a little boy or a little girl pick up something. Another little boy or a little girl want it. And then we go, no. We don't, we don't share naturally and normally. We have to be taught to do that. We're selfish. But the reason that we're selfish, folks, the primary reason is we've never entered into a heart-to-heart relationship with God. I'm talking about where there's nothing between us and God, where there's transparency. You see, transparency frightens us. It scares us. And we do what Adam and Eve did. They headed for the bushes. And they hid out, and they stuck their heads up and, and spoke to God and talked to God, but they were afraid to come out. We've kind of become bush dwellers. That's what I call it. We hide in the bushes because we're, not, we're, we're only willing to expose a little bit of our heart, not all of our heart. Scripture tells us, though, if we're, if we're new creations, if we're truly believers, if Jesus Christ has birthed us from above through the power of His Spirit, that we are new creations, folks. Listen to what 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse, verse 15 and verse 17 says. It says, For the love of Christ controls us, having concluded this, that one died for all, that they who live should no longer live for themselves. In other words, we don't have to live for ourselves anymore. Jesus died for us. He took all the garbage we had that, that fills us. He died with it on him. So we don't have to live in condemnation. We don't have to live in fear. We can live differently. They should live no longer for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. In other words, we can live for Christ. And then verse 17 says this, and, and probably down the road I'm going to preach on this, okay, because we don't really understand this. Therefore, because of what Christ did for us, if any man or woman is in Christ, he or she is a new creature. The old things have passed away. Behold, new things have come. In other words, we have become, folks, we are still human beings. But I have a friend that puts it this way. We are a new species of human beings. And folks, we can live out of the old nature or we can live out of the new nature. Listen, the bush dwellers are dead. Jesus died so that, that they could come out of the bushes, so that we could come out of the bushes. It's time, if, you, if you're a bush dweller, it's time to bury that old nature. It's time to let that old nature go, put it in the ground, come out of the bushes. And folks, if you'll come out of the bushes, I'm going to share with you this morning. God will meet you there. Let me say it another way. God's already there. He's already there. Last week we talked about Ruth's pursuit of, of, of Boaz and, and it's got to mirror our, our, our pursuit of God. She made all the preparations. She did everything she was supposed to do. Now it's up to Boaz. And folks, as we pursue God, we have to all visit the same place. We have to get to that place where there's nothing else I can do. I, can't, I can pray, I can sing, I can dance, 
I always look for my Bible at some point in that last song. And the last few Sundays, I found myself a lot farther away from it than I started off. Does that make sense? I just got caught up in the worship, and, and, and I reached back this morning, and, and there wasn't anything back there. And I realized, okay, I'm halfway up here at the stage. We, we can do everything we can do, but we can't make God move. God chooses to. Ruth's done everything that she knew to do. Everything. She'd done it by the book. Step, 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 step. That was it. She, came, she had come to the end of her, her road. She, the silence was deafening, and time seemed to stand still. And Boaz, you know, Boaz probably rubbing his chin, thinking, what do I do? I mean, he's, he's got to make a life-changing decision here. I want you to listen to what he says in Ruth chapter 3, verse 10. We're going to start there. He says, May you be blessed of the Lord, my daughter. You have shown your last kindness to be better than the first by not going after younger men, whether rich or poor. Now, as you read that, you realize there's an age difference between Ruth and between Boaz. I mean, it's obvious. I mean, he's kind of stunned. It's undoubtable, as you read this text, she's a very beautiful, very attractive lady. And... Let's just be honest. She could have probably had any man that she wanted. Boaz is a, he's not an older man. He's a more mature man. As you get older, as you get older, you change your terminology around. Amen. Y'all know what I'm talking about. And you younger guys, you'll understand it too. You're just more mature. He's got a little, he's got a little white in the temples. He's gotten a little older. And this lady is attracted to him. I mean, she is. She's asked him to marry her. She's come for his attention. He did not pursue her. She pursued him. And I'm going to tell you something. I, now, I hope you'll listen to me, and I hope you don't think I'm nuts, but it aroused his passion. Okay, there was a, there was a little jump in his heart there. His blood began to pump a little bit faster. I don't know whether you realize this, but God has passion. Jesus said the zeal of the Lord. Zeal means passion. When, they, he, when, he, when he cleaned the temple out, it was because it was a passion that rose up in him for the people that couldn't get in the temple. They had filled the temple, the outer area where the Gentiles, where we came to pray, we couldn't get in. They'd shut us out. And Jesus, there's a passion rose up in his heart. God has a passion as well. God has emotions and feelings. And, and I'm going to tell you something. When God's passion's aroused, things happen. And when our passion for God is aroused, we, we set the stage in a sense. We prepare the table for something to happen. Now, maybe you've never experienced God's passion. Maybe, maybe you don't know what I'm talking about. All it is is his overwhelming love and desire for you. Have you if you've never felt that, if you've never experienced that. See, we can think about it, we can talk about it, but until we experience it, it's not real to us. 
And all of a sudden, Boaz, his passion is aroused for this woman. She has come to him not to get something, but she's come to him for who he is. And, and that's the question, folks, we have to ask. Why are we going to God? I mentioned just a little bit last week. When, when we go into God's presence, why do we go? What's our motive? So you can do everything right. The method can be correct. But if the motive's not right, everything's wrong. And so why do we, you know, I'll just ask you the question, why do you want God to come? You know, sometimes we come wanting power. Sometimes we want, come wanting position. Sometimes we bring our prayer needs. And, and there's nothing wrong with, with prayer needs, okay? We're supposed to bring our, our needs to God. But if that's all we ever bring, then what's happened is, what happens is we begin to go after God for what we can get instead of who He is. And what happens, there, there's a, it, it's like being married. If, if, you know, it, it's really easy to come in and sit in your uh, easy chair and watch your spouse do all the work. Amen? It's time we got up out of the easy chair and went after our spouse. Folks, that's what God's wanting us to do here. Too often we come for what He can give us, not... Just to rest in His presence. There's, and like I said, there's nothing wrong with, with asking God for provisions. But folks, it's His presence. It's who He is. It's, it's far more important to us than His power. When you choose the presence of God, everything else happens. The power comes. But when you choose the presence of God, you really go after God's presence. Folks, His passion is aroused. And when God's passion is aroused, intimacy takes place. You can't have intimacy without passion. We've talked about intimacy. Intimacy is into me, you see. It's just transparency. It's heart-to-heart relationship, spirit-to-spirit. Nothing between us. And when there's nothing between me and God, things happen. When there's nothing between God and me, things really happen. Do you realize Jesus took all that stuff that was between us and nailed it? the cross every bit of it so in reality folks if, if, if I want to pursue him there's nothing that keeps me from going after his heart he removed it the only way it can get back there is if I put it there is if I dredge it up and set it in front of me folks we have to choose the presence of God and, and when, when passion shows up intimacy takes place Boaz was not aroused because Ruth was a hard worker. Okay? He had people that he paid to work hard. And believe me, in in his day, if they didn't work hard, guess what? At the end of the day, they got their payday, and they were invited not to come back. So there was no problem with needing hard workers. It wasn't her abilities. It was her devotion and her love that embraced his heart. And folks, God doesn't need our abilities. He's God. You know, every once in a while I I remind myself, He spoke and creation came into being. What can I do that God needs? 
It's not that he needs anything, folks. It's that he wants us. There's a a difference between needing us. He doesn't need us. He's complete in himself. He wants us. He desires us. And he's put within us a desire for him. Nothing else can meet it. Boaz responds out of an open heart. And he begins to pour out provision after provision. We're just going to walk through these. The first words he offers are are words of really of assurance. He says in in Ruth chapter 3 verse 11, the very first part he says, And now, my daughter, do not fear. Now, last week I went into a long discussion of of the fact that, that women didn't go to the threshing floor at night. In fact, women didn't get out and go by themselves anywhere in the daytime or at night. It was dangerous. The only, the only women that were out at these times were usually prostitutes. And he, he speaks these words to her. So she was in danger where she was at. And, and Boaz says, he says, And now, my daughter, don't fear. Don't fear. Remember, she's laying at his feet. All he has to do is yell, and her, her reputation is ruined. She's done for. She's already a foreigner, so she has one big old strike against her. In her culture, she was a lady, which is another strike. All she had was, was, her, was her purity and her integrity. And so she's a little bit uptight, okay? Wouldn't you be? I, I mean, let's just be honest. She, she's, she's about twisted as tight as she can be. And he says to her, don't fear. Don't fear. Boaz gives her shalom. He gives her peace. 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 Listen to me. One way of knowing that you're in the presence of God is a sense of peace. Some of you know what I'm talking about. There are moments when, when, you're, when you're going after God that all of a sudden it just drops. And it's like, I'm here. He's here. I don't, have to, I don't have to wonder if he's here or not. He's here. His peace comes. Folks, there may be storms raging on the outside. There may be circumstances and situations that are totally out of your control that, loom, that look like doomsday, but in here, there's peace. There's peace. Folks, when God's peace descends, when that peace envelops us, look out. Look out. His provisions are are beginning to flow. Now, listen to Boaz. He continues to speak. He says in in Ruth chapter 311, the B part, he says, I will do for you whatever you ask. I will do for you whatever you ask. I'll guarantee you, you could have heard Ruth go, All the air sucked out of the room till she breathes some more back in. I will do for you whatever you ask. Listen to me. When you go into the presence of God, you can rest assured that He will do for you whatever you need. He will meet your needs, whether you can name them or not. Do you, how many of you realize that there are times when I don't, I, I mean, I know this. There are times when I need something, I don't even know what it is. I don't know what to call it. There's just something inside of me that knows I'm missing something. I'm lacking something. You ever been there? 
Scripture says that that's when the Holy Spirit groans and prays for us because He knows our needs. And so Boaz says, I'll do for you whatever you ask. The reason we don't get our prayers answered a lot of times is because we treat God like a genie in a bottle. You know what I mean? We get him up, we rub real hard, and we want him to poof. Master, you have three wishes. What would you like? That's not God. Okay? That makes great television and great fairy tales and wonderful movies, but that's not reality. We treat him like a, a genie we, who, who's waiting just to grant our request. Or we treat him like a, uh, I call it a Coke machine, okay? Y'all know what I'm talking about, vending machine. You put your money in, you mash the, make your choice, mash the button, and you expect to get what you ask for, amen? And when you don't get it, what do you do? <laughs> That's the way we pray. Just think about it for a minute. God, this is what I want. This is what I want. This is what I want. I've done this, and I've done this, I've done this. I've put my money in. I've mashed the button, but I haven't got what I wanted. And so what do I do? Well, I guess prayer doesn't work. I guess God doesn't like me. I guess God's too busy. We kick, and we beat, and we shake. It's the same thing. But, folks, God's not a Coke machine. God's not waiting on us to mash buttons so that we get what we want. God's desire is to meet our needs at the moment. Our needs. Sometimes we ask for things, let's just be honest, most of the time we ask for things that we think we need. We won't get down to the real needs that we have. We're afraid to ask for them because we're afraid God won't meet them. And God says, look, I'll meet your needs. I'll meet your needs. Folks, it's out of relationship that provisions come. It's out of relationship, out of that love, heart-to-heart, spirit-to-spirit relationship that we get what we need. If you've got that relationship, you're going after that relationship, don't be afraid to ask God what you need. God, I need help. I'm sick. I'm physically ill. I need healing. God, I'm lonely. I need somebody to spend time with. God, my grandkids or my children are out doing God knows whatever. Lord, I need you to move in their lives. God, my husband is sick. My wife is sick. Whatever. Just ask. Those are needs. Those are not wants. Those are needs. And God says, you know what? I'll do for you whatever you ask. Over and over and over, Jesus says that. You'll ask in my name. I'll give you whatever you ask for. Over and over in the New Testament. Folks, sometimes God gives us what we want. And He really does. And we don't want it. But folks, God wants to give us what we need. We have to get quiet before Him. We have to get, we have to get silent in our heart. We have to pursue Him. Listen to me. Boaz sent the provision... Only after Ruth went after his person. She went after him, and then he acted. And very often, that's the way it is in our relationship with God. We go after God first, and then God meets our needs. We don't 
like to hear that sometimes. We've been taught God will give us everything we need. We're like fat babies in a in a bassinet, weigh 200 pounds, and we're just, that's the way we think we're supposed to be. That's not how it is. We exercise faith. We go after God. God answers faith. He responds to it out of his goodness and out of his mercy. Folks, if, if we'll do likewise, God won't disappoint. When my little girl, uh, when Amber was really little, she'd crawl up in my lap from time to time. And she'd just put her little hands, and, and most of you daddies have had this happen. She'd put her little hands on my face, and she'd turn my face toward her so I could look in her eyes, so I'd have to look in her eyes. That's the point of it. And she'd say, Daddy, I love you. Or, Daddy, I, I like being with you. Or, Daddy, you're so strong. Or, Daddy, you're so handsome. Or, she's the only one who'd tell me this kind of stuff, okay? <laughs> and she's a kid. She, don't, she doesn't know any better, but she's just... She's just what she's saying is, Daddy, I love you. And you know what? I would wrap my arms around her, and we would go someplace. We'd just sit there, and we'd just go someplace. Where we'd go is we'd go heart to heart. We'd just connect. And sometimes it'd be just a minute or two, and sometimes it'd be a little longer. And then she'd jump down, and she'd run off. I'm going to tell you something. When she did stuff like that, I would have given her anything I could Okay, I'm not a really good, I wasn't a really good father. I'm fallible. I make mistakes. God is infallible. He's infinite. He is the best father there is. If you didn't have a good daddy, you need God because he is daddy. Where we fall short as daddies, he never falls short. Folks, if we crawl up in his lap and we take him by the cheeks and say, Daddy, I just want, Abba, I want to spend time with you. You know what? He'll wrap his arms around me and shut everything out. But you know, as she got older, she realized, hey, let me try something here. Daddy, I love you. She's looking around, making sure nobody's listening. Can I have some candy? Can I have that doll? Can we go to Walmart and walk down the toy aisle? And I realized that all of a sudden she's there to get something rather than to get something. Now, I still ran my arms around her and hugged her real tight, but you know what? It wasn't the same because I realized she wanted something, and that's why she was doing that. Folks, that's the way we pray most of the time. That's the way we go into God's presence. Father God, I love you. God, I hate my job. Will you give me a new job? God, my husband is the worst pig. Lord, would you just make him pick up his clothes? God, my wife, oh Lord, God, you hear her too. She's wearing me out. Oh God, would you? It's not because we love God, it's because we got all these needs. Y'all know what I'm talking about. I think I can move on. Amen. Amen. Listen to me. Whenever you give yourself to God, His Father's heart just comes out. It melts. And folks, He will meet your needs every time. He'll give you exactly what you need. I love what Boaz says next. He says in Ruth chapter 3, the latter part of verse 13, he says, he says, You are a woman of excellence. 
I want you to listen to me because there's some folks here this morning that need this, okay? He had watched Ruth over the last few weeks every day. He had seen her integrity. He had seen her work ethic. He had watched her to see if she was really who she said she was. And then he validates her. He says, you are a woman of excellence. He had seen her devotion. He had been impressed with her purity. But she was living out who she was. She wasn't playing games. And you know what? There are some people in this room that are filled with condemnation because nobody's ever validated you. Nobody has ever said to you, you know what? I love you just because you are you. I made you this way. You're doing a good job. You please me. I'm excited when you take a few minutes and you pull away from all your duties just to sit down and talk with me. You are a man or a woman of excellence. I've seen what you do when nobody's looking. I've seen your heart when there's nobody around. And you know what? What you do in private is the same thing you do in public, and I am pleased with you. You're a woman or a man of excellence. Listen to me. A lot of you are paralyzed by fear because you're afraid that if you go into the presence of God, He's going to reject you and condemn you. Listen to me. There is therefore, Romans 8, 1 says, no condemnation. None. Not any. There's no longer even any penalty for our sin. That's literally what that says. Jesus nailed it to the cross. He took all of God's wrath for what we've done wrong. There's no longer any penalty, no condemnation. If there's no penalty, we can't be condemned. If there's no condemnation, we can't be rejected. Folks, this is a sure home run if you'll just swing the bat. You're not going to miss the ball. You're going to knock it over the fence every time, 100% of the time, if you just get in God's presence. Sadly, a lot of you believe He'll shame you, or He'll condemn you, or He'll reject you, but He won't. He won't. Listen to me. I'm going to be really serious right now for a minute. I've been serious, but I'm going to be seriously serious right now the only way God will reject you is if you reject Jesus Christ and even in that he will pursue you until you take your last breath God will never reject you if you belong to him never ever Folks, it's in His presence that we, we find that little secret place where we can find our worth. You know, every once in a while, every person in this room needs a pat on the back and told that they're doing a good job, that they're worthy, that they measure up, that they matter. You know, some of us do jobs that nobody notices, nobody sees. And every once in a while, you just need a pat on the back to get a little energy. It's not that, that you're looking for somebody to, to march you up on stage and give you a award. You just want somebody to know what you do. God knows. And if you'll get by yourself with him, every so often he'll say, you know what? 
You're doing a good job. I appreciate the struggle that you put yourself in, the place that you're at. Folks, he doesn't shout those things. He whispers those things. You know why he whispers them? So you'll hear them. That's how much he loves you. He wants you to know. Listen, it's not really important that everybody else knows. What's important is that he knows. If he knows, listen, it's getting written down. The record is being kept. And one day, it will be declared. And everyone will know. God loves you. And God's for you. Now, it's it's often in a moment like that when all of a sudden God says, I'm pleased with you, that something else happens. Very often you get a promise or a word or an encouragement. God whispers those folks. They, They literally, when that takes place, there's a change in our destiny. When God gives you a word, you got a word. You got a word. It may be straight out of Scripture. It may be a verse. Or it may be just, it just may, the Holy Spirit may speak a specific word, but God gives it to you, and it's yours. And that's exactly what Boaz does in our text. He gave Ruth a promise. He says, in, in Ruth chapter 3, the very last part, he says, I will redeem you. Now, that's what she needed. But he says, I will redeem you. He's already said, I'll do whatever you need. Now he says, I will redeem you. He's got very specific. She had her promise now. Everything's going to be all right. Her her and her mother-in-law are going to be okay. They're not going to have to go to the poor folks' home. They're not going to starve to death. They're not going to lose what little bit they have. Everything they need is going to be provided for them. She had her promise. She had her promise. How much more does God move in that way? Folks, He meets our needs. But listen, I want you to listen to me. The story gets a lot better. It just keeps getting better, which is the exact way God is. The closer you get to Him, the better it is. Now, y'all have heard me say this before. Salvation is just the front porch of God's house. It just gets you into the foyer area, Okay? The foyer is where you decide which direction you want to go. Do you want to go back this way or up this way? And the problem is most Christians congregate in the foyer. They never go on a tour of the house. Folks, relationships what takes you on the tour of the house. It's better once you get away from the foyer. It just gets better and better and better. Listen to what Boaz says in, in the latter part of this passage. He says, Remain this night. He offers her an invitation. Now, she could have gotten up at that moment and gone to the house, okay? Nobody would have ever known she was there. She would have been under the cover of darkness. She could have slipped back to her home. Nobody would have ever known it. But Boaz says, remain this night. See, Boaz wanted her presence as much as she needed his. You may not believe this, but God wants your presence as much as you need His. I want you to let that just settle for a minute. God doesn't need your presence. He wants your presence. From time to time, I promise you, there will be those moments when you're meeting with God, when, when you've got a thousand things you need to do. 
They're legitimate, real things. And God will say, hey, stay a little longer. He won't say you have to stay. He won't twist your arm and say, stay, 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 stay. He'll stay. He'll go, hey, won't you stay just a little longer? Won't you tarry? That's the way the, the older folks used to say, won't you tarry just a minute with me? Won't you tarry with me a minute? You see, God wants our presence. And you know when you hear that, you want to stay. Listen to me. The next time it happens to you, wait. Just wait. Just get still and say, okay, God, you know all I got to do, but I'm going to stay a little longer with you. I'm going to spend a little lot, uh, a few more minutes. And folks, when, when that happens, God will pour out on you new levels of relationship. He'll take you to a new level. He'll give you a deeper anointing. He'll, he'll disclose some kind of, of truth to you, or He'll show you how much more He loves you in a richer, more intimate way. Listen, if we'll all stop being in a hurry, our relationship with God will greatly improve. You can't have intimacy by being in a hurry. gets even better than this. In verse 14 of chapter 3, it says, So Ruth lay at his feet until morning. And before one could recognize another, he said, Let it not be known that a woman came to the threshing floor. Ruth had found that safe haven of privacy and protection. Uh, she had found it in, 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 in Boaz's presence. And probably for the first time in several weeks, she had rested and relaxed and slept. Now she could be everything that God had destined her to be. And she didn't have to worry about being uh, rejected or, or being in fear. And folks, that's the same thing that happens when you get in God's presence. Whenever you take that time, whenever you take those things to God, whatever you say or however you respond stays with God. It doesn't become a sermon illustration. Okay? He doesn't use it to teach other people. It, it's, a, it's a sacred thing. Whatever I share with him, when, when I get into that place, it stays between him and I. He doesn't, he doesn't rip it back and embarrass me when I get out. The secrets we share never find their way out. When God deals with something, listen to me, it's finished. You know, very often when you get in that place with God, you'll remember something. God, you know what? I remember doing this, and it, and it wasn't right, and I, I, need, I need your forgiveness. It's forgiven, and that's the end of it. It stays there. Folks, the Scripture says that God casts our sins into the sea of forgetfulness. He does not forget our sins. I want you to listen to me a minute. There's some terrible teaching going around that God forgets our sins. God does not forget our sins. God chooses no longer to remember our sins. He puts them behind Him in the sea of forgetfulness, and He chooses no longer to reach back in there and dredge them up. He doesn't go fishing in that place again. He chooses to. None of us can forgive and forget but we can forgive and choose not to remember those offenses against another person. Forgive and forget is terrible teaching, and it's not in the Bible. Okay? I'm just, maybe that'll help somebody this morning. Now, 
as the sun begins to rise, Ruth realizes, hey, I've got to go home. If I stay here till the sun gets up, somebody will see me. There's always that group of people that don't sleep till 8 or 9 o'clock. You know, they get up at 4.30. Life starts at 4.30. There's a few of you here. I can see you smiling. <laughs> can I just confess something to you? I'm not 9 o'clock, but I'm not 4.30 either, okay? So the sun's beginning to rise, and, and, and she gets up. And folks, listen to me. This is the best part of this story, and it illustrates what I'm trying to say. Every time we spend time in God's presence, this happens. Listen to what uh, Boaz says in, 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 and does in, in Ruth chapter 3, verse 15. He does exactly what God will do if we'll spend time with him. He says, give me your cloak which is on you and hold it. In other words, Ruth, I'm about to, to do something, but you're going to have to do something. You're going to have to put yourself into a position so that I can bless you. And so she takes her cloak off. This is, this is her outer garment. And it was probably cool. And she takes her cloak off. She spreads it out. And he says this, so she held it and he measured six measures of barley and laid it on her. And then she went to the city. We, we look at that and we think, well, he poured a little grain in her cloak and she headed off. Well, six measures of barley would have been between 80 and 100 pounds. He just didn't give her something to eat. Folks, he loaded her up. How many of you have picked up a... Uh, uh, 40 or 50 pounds. They're now 40 pounds instead of 50 pounds in most places. You can go to Walmart and get a special offer of 50 pounds, which is what they all used to be about three years ago. But how many of you have gotten a 40-pound sack of dog food? That's a pretty good load, isn't it? Double that. Now, he's put it in this, this cloak. She's tied it up. He's helped her get it up. Now, he didn't put it on her shoulder. You know where she carried these loads? On her head. Folks, God, God doesn't just bless us a little bit. God pours out blessing after blessing after blessing. He could have given her a double handful and it would have been fine. It would have met their needs. But he gives her 80 to 100 pounds of grain. And whenever you go into to God's presence, God will give you far more than you need. Boaz's glory was his grain. That's, that's what made him who he was, in a sense. It was his glory. Folks, when God pours out his glory on you, it won't be a little dab. A little dab will do us. But, but it'll be a lot more than a dab. And so just to picture this, when you, when you get into the presence of God and God begins to pour out himself on you, it'll be more than you can contain. When Ruth walked home, don't you imagine there was a little grain trail following her? I'll bet there was. I mean, 80 pounds in a sack's hard enough to carry, but she's not got a sack, she's got her cloak. It's, it's a square piece of cloth. And so there's grain, you know, she's got Boaz grain just dripping off of her. Folks, there's a picture there. If you spend time in God's presence, His glory will drip off of you. Moses went into the very presence of God 
Spent 40 days there. When he came down, nobody had to ask him where he had been. They could see it. Why? His presence, it glowed. Naomi didn't have to ask Ruth where she had been. He knew where she had been. He, he, she could see. Look, she didn't leave with a sack on her head. She's coming back. And, and when, when Ruth spread that out in front of, of Naomi, Naomi probably went like this. She knew something good had happened. Folks, when we get into the presence of God, if we'll spend time with God, God will give us what we need, and He will always give us more than we need. When you pursue God, and you prepare yourself to get in His presence, you're going to get more than you need. You will always have more than you need. God is a God of abundance. God's not stingy, okay? I think too often we, we feel like God's stingy. You'll give me a little here and a little there, but God's not stingy. God will give us everything we need and more. God desires to pour His blessings on His kids. But God, folks, listen to me. We've got to position ourselves in His presence so that when He pours out His glory, it's not lost, it's not missed, it's not wasted. We pray, God, show us your glory. God, do this, do that. But, but you know, very often we're not in position to catch it if it drops. You know what I'm saying? We're out of position. You realize you can only stretch so far? If you're over here and he drops it over there, you're not going to get it. So we've got to position ourselves to receive it. We've got to put ourselves in a place. Folks, if we'll enter God's presence, if we'll pursue a passionate, intimate relationship with him, we will never be disappointed, and he will satisfy our hunger every time. Folks, relationship is partnership. That's all God wants is a partnership with us. So here's the question. Are you willing to pursue God in a relationship? Are you willing to go after God with all your heart? The reality of it is it's, it's a matter of the heart. I've said this before, but we have as much of God right now as we want. Every so often I check the tank in my truck, see how much gas is in there. You know why? This, ain't, this is not a rocket science question, okay? You know why? Because I'd much rather ride than walk. I've walked before. Whenever you run out, there's nobody around. Amen? Those of you that have walked know what I'm talking about. It's only after you get a gas tank, I mean a gas can, and get some gas in it and start back that everybody wants to stop and pick you up. Nobody wants to pick you up when you don't have a gas tank and it's empty. Folks, the same is true in our relationship with God. We don't have to run out. We keep going back and going back and going back, and God keeps filling and filling and filling. Folks, He's got a lot more available than we're accessing. But we've got to pursue Him. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads. For more information on Eagles Wing Church, visit our website at www.eagleswingchurch.org or on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash Eagles Wing Church. Thanks for listening and have a blessed week.